I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Great Pensions Tax Squeeze. As new rules limit what higher earners can pay into their pensions, the wealthy are herding towards other tax-efficient investments. But many stand to be disappointed. Would property be a better bet for funding your retirement? The Bank of England's chief economist Andy Haldane apparently thinks so. Our pensions expert Josephine Cumbo gives her verdict. And the night tube. Now Londoners can stay out all night and party without having to spend fortunes on a taxi home, how will the capital's nighttime economy change? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you the week's money news in downloadable form. Want to hear something scary? Taper. This five-letter word will chill the blood of higher earners, who have seen what they can save tax-efficiently into a pension whittled away by new restrictions. This, advisors say, is creating record levels of demand for other tax-efficient ways of investing. But sadly, you might have to join the back of a long and growing queue. I'm joined by Jason Hollands, Managing Director of Tilney Best Invest, the investment advisors, who comments on this issue in this weekend's edition of FT Money. Jason, welcome to The Money Show. Thank you. So, firstly, how have the pension rule changes affected the wealthy? And what kinds of tax-efficient investments are now being considered as alternatives? Sure, there are really sort of two elements to this. The first is the lifetime allowance, which is the level at which, once you take your pension benefits, if you exceed it, you're subject to a quite nasty 55% tax hit. Now, this is something that uh, Gordon Brown introduced, but George Osborne took up with gusto and has repeatedly reduced the lifetime allowance. And from this tax year, it was reduced from £1.25 million to £1 million. So that's stopping a number of people from putting more money in their pensions. But the real sting in the tail was something that came in under the emergency budget that took place shortly after last year's general election, Mm. which in order to pay for free childcare, they have essentially restricted the access to pensions tax relief for higher earners. And that is anyone who's got what's described as an adjusted income of £150,000 or more. So that's not just your salary, that's salary, bonus, any income from investments, and indeed any benefits you might get from your work, such as medical insurance or or company pension contributions. Or if you're a landlord, income from a buy-to-let property. Indeed, all those are taken into account to measure adjusted income. And essentially, over that level of income, you'll progressively have your pensions allowance reduced. So instead of getting the £40,000 allowance, on a sliding scale, it reduces to as little as £10,000, 
once your total income is £210,000 or more. So for lots of people out there who've perhaps historically invested heavily in pensions each year to get a long-term investment but also mitigate uh, income tax liability, Mm. pensions are no longer going to be the option that they have been in the past. Now, obviously, those types of investors are probably already doing mainstream investments like ISAs, which should be the first port of call. But it's meaning they're having to look at um, more esoteric investments and venture capital trusts and enterprise investment schemes are definitely two areas that are proving to be more popular and have been with previous tinkering with uh, pension tax allowances. Now, talk us through briefly what the two schemes are and the tax advantages that they enjoy. Sure. So both of these are government-backed schemes, so they have statutory backing. That's a really important thing because, as you know, the HM Revenue and Customs have got sweeping powers to challenge anything that smacks of aggressive tax planning. These are government-backed schemes, and they're well-established. They've been around over a quarter of a century. Yes, they've changed over the years. They're subject to periodic adaptations. But they're schemes, essentially, that the government's put in place to attract private investor financing into small, unquoted businesses. And for these purposes, AIM companies would also count as unquoted businesses. So it doesn't mean all small companies. There are various restrictions on types of companies, on their age and their size and their number of employees. But the difference between the two schemes is that EIS is a direct investment into the shares of one of these companies. Right. So you'll become a direct shareholder in it. Whereas a venture capital trust is a little bit like an investment trust. It's a portfolio of these types of businesses picked and chosen by an investment team with an independent board and um, the VCT's own shares become listed on the stock market. So it provides a sort of diversified route into getting exposure to these companies, whereas EIS should really be regarded as a higher risk because you're becoming a direct shareholder in one of these companies. But to compensate you for the risks involved you get the SOP of tax relief. Absolutely. So both the schemes offer investors a 30% income tax credit on the the amount subscribed, but only when it's into new shares. So it must be new shares of a VCT and obviously a new EIS fundraising. It can't be just going out there on the stock market and buying shares in existing VCT. So each year, a number of the VCTs, typically ones that are already up and running and listed in the stock market, will come and do a further fundraising offer. Now, it's important to understand, though, is you don't just get that um, income tax relief and then can sell your shares. You are committed to remain invested for a period of time or you'll have to pay the tax relief back. So in the case of VCTs, the minimum holding period is five years and EIS, the minimum holding period is three years. Although, do remember, because an EIS is an unquoted company, it doesn't mean you will be able to get out of the investment in three years. Normally, you're going to really have to wait until when the company is perhaps sold. And so it should often be a lot longer than that. So demand is rising despite these restrictions, but you also think that opportunities to invest in these schemes will be scarcer this year because of restrictions on what qualifies for this lovely, tasty tax relief. Well, absolutely. So you've got uh, potentially lots more investors willing to look at these because pensions are no longer... They've been squeezed out. They've been squeezed out the pension investment for this year and, and beyond. And another thing that might attract people to these is, of course, yields on traditional investments are very low at the moment. And VCTs often do have very high yields because they can pay tax-free dividends. So there's lots of people out there potentially lining up to consider investing in these. But, of course, because of the nature of the investments that these schemes are targeted at, they are quite you know niche. And there is not unlimited supply of companies with less than 250 staff and that meet all the criteria. Going for less than seven years, not uh, investing in renewable absolutely. energy, and, all of the and other things. 
Yes. And one of the challenges is, is you know, over the years, there are periodic changes to what type of companies can get backing through these schemes, as you would expect with a government-backed scheme. But last year saw quite a few new restrictions added by the government because it was required to comply with EU or EEC state aid regulations. So there were various changes made to the schemes, which involved, for example, for the first time, companies must normally not be older than seven years from their first commercial sale. Previously, there was no time limit on the age of a company that might seek this type of funding. Certain types of deal structures, such as management buyouts, are essentially excluded now. So the money that EIS or a VCT puts into a company must be used to develop the business. It can't be used for acquisitions. And there's a cap on the overall funding a company can receive under all these schemes over their lifespan. But the really relevant point for listeners is that clearly more restrictions mean a narrower universe of potential opportunities. And one of the things that VCT managers have been telling us is that clearly with their existing portfolios, where deals were invested under the old rules, they have a natural pace of exits from companies yeah. where they're, they're selling, hopefully, at a profit companies that they've previously invested in. And that's leaving them with cash to find a new home for. But the pace of new investments they can find has obviously slowed to reflect the fact that the criteria are narrower, more complex now. And so there's a real question mark as to whether or not they will want to come back and raise lots of new money. Mm. And the picture's very unclear at the moment. So currently there's one new offer has just gone live from Octopus, who are a large VCT manager. But really the next few months will tell as to whether or not these VCTs will come back for more money than last year to meet the expected growth in demand or whether or not actually they'll come back for more modest amounts. And in fact, some VCTs may potentially choose just to raise a little bit of money from their own existing shareholders. Thanks very much there to Jason Hollands, Managing Director of Tilney Best Invest. You can read our cover feature, The Great Pensions Tax Squeeze, from this Friday morning online at ft.com money or in the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. Could property be a better bet to fund your retirement than a pension? The Bank of England's chief economist seems to think so. In comments he made to a newspaper this weekend, Andy Haldane remarked that booming house prices give property an edge over pensions. But his comments, which came just weeks after his employer, the Bank of England, cut interest rates to a new record low, have ruffled the feathers of some pensions experts who have branded his comments irresponsible. Joining me to discuss why the comments have got Mr Haldane into hot water is Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pensions correspondent. Welcome to The Money Show. Hello, Claire. So tell us, what has Mr Haldane actually said on the issue? Well, Mr Haldane was interviewed by The Times about how he manages his money, an interesting candidate to be interviewed given his position with the Bank of England. And when asked what was the best way to invest for retirement, property or pension, he replied that a pension ought to be the best for retirement planning. But he added, as long as we continue not to build anything like as many houses in this country that we need to, we will see what we have had for the better part of a generation, which is house prices relentlessly heading north. So house prices, houses are a better bet for uh, retirement funding than pensions. That was his view. But he then went on to remark that he did not feel wealthy. And this is in spite mm-hmm. of being on a salary of about 180000 a year and being in line for a pension of about £84,000 a year when he retires or nearly three times average earnings. So, I mean... 
sounds incredibly out of touch to me, but what was the reaction to his remarks? Well, yes, it did. They did cause quite a stir, as you might imagine, not least because Mr Haldane is in one of the most generous pension schemes in the country and he will not have to worry about funding his retirement in the way most people joining the workforce today do. Mm. Rising house prices driven by Bank of England policies have also put home ownership out of reach of most young people. And it's also the case that the measures taken by the bank to stimulate the economy or quantitative easing have harmed the chances of those looking to buy an annuity when they retire with rates hitting record lows. The strongest reaction to Mr Haldane's remarks came from Ros Altman, who's the former pensions minister. What did she have to say? (laughs) She said his remarks were divorced from reality and it was irresponsible to suggest that people should rely solely on property to fund their retirement rather than pensions. Now, property versus pension, a lot of experts have spoken out on this issue in the last couple of months. Why do they believe Mr Haldane was wrong? Well, when you look at house price growth, it certainly looks really attractive. I mean, just this morning, we've seen the nationwide come out with figures. House price, average house prices are up 5% year on year. Yeah, despite Brexit. Yes, despite Brexit. So in one sense, it looks very, very attractive, a safe bet. But experts say there are many risks to relying exclusively on property to fund your retirement. For example, by downsizing to a smaller home when you finish work and using the freed cash to finance your retirement income. Firstly, while property prices have boomed in recent years, what goes up does come down again. And if you're in the unfortunate position of wanting to retire when there's a slump in the market, you might have to rethink Mm. your plans. There's also the risk that you may have not paid off the mortgage by 65 or that, shock horror, you'll still have adult children living at home who aren't ready to (laughs) to leave you. And this is increasingly becoming a trend as children find it very difficult to save for a deposit and want to save money at home. And while investing in stocks and shares through a pension is not without its risks, giving up a pension through the workplace means you won't benefit from an employer contribution or tax relief, which Mm. I've also discussed with Jason Hollins just earlier. There are benefits to saving into a pension through taxes. Finally, Mr Haldane's remarks run counter to a government push to get more people saving for retirement in a workplace pension. Well, maybe it's because he just can't understand pensions that he favours property. Yes, this is the second time Mr Haldane has made front pages news with his remarks. You may recall a couple of months back, Mr Haldane, who has a master's degree in economics and who has authored several books on inflation targeting and central bank independence, commented that he didn't understand pensions. Now, while those remarks may have surprised me, people, there was some sympathy with his view that pensions are too complex. However, the outcry which followed Mr Haldane's latest remarks on property and pensions has led some experts to suggest his employer, the Bank of England, should send him on a pension training course, (laughs) given he has so much influence over the savings and investments of millions of individuals. Well, thanks so much there. Fantastically explained by Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pension correspondent, and a woman who does understand pensions despite their complications. Get in touch with us to tell us what you think. Our email address, money at ft.com, or tweet us at ftmoney. I interrupt this podcast to bring news of a special money-saving offer for listeners who want to attend the FT Weekend Festival this weekend, Saturday the 3rd of September, at Kenwood House in Hampstead, London. I'll be presiding over the FT Money Stage, which will feature appearances from our star columnists, Merrin Somerset-Webb, John Lee, and our money mentor, Lindsay Cook. Plus, experts will go head-to-head on the future for London's property market. If you'd like to attend... 
I can give you 20% off the ticket price if you use the code FTMONEY20 at the online checkout. To book, go to our website live.ft.com. And finally, Londoners are divided over the impact of the night tube, with several tube lines now running for 24 hours over the weekend, with more to soon follow. Will it be good for property prices and the capital's nighttime economy? Or will living in a city that never sleeps drive you around the bend? I'm joined by Hugo Greenhouse, the FT's wealth correspondent and resident party animal who has been reporting on this story. Welcome, Hugo. Thank you very much. And uh, resident party animal, I think at this point, age 43, resident dinner party animal. Thank you. (laughs) Please. I stand corrected. (laughs) But what's been the impact? of these tube lines opening for 24 hours over the weekend. Well, either way, it's been good news, uh, not just for bars and restaurants and clubs, but also for for gamblers and for those who want to do late-night shopping. Hippodrome Casino, which is the largest in Europe, um, spread over umpteen floors with about six bars and three restaurants and I think about three casinos as well. They reported uh, customers going up in terms of numbers by 20 to 25% after 1am, which of course is normally when people can head for the last bus yeah. or <laughs> try and get the, the ride tube. precisely to get the last tube. And footfall in the West End, looking at you know, shops opening much later, rose by 7%, Gosh. with Oxford Street up by 14%. It was all compared with uh, the figures before the night tube started. Hmm. So that sounds great, but more bars and restaurants opening later might be good for business, but what about residents who have to put up with the noise? Yes, there is that. Uh, the Mayor's Office is looking for a new nighttime czar to work closely with business, the police, the local councils and residents to ensure that none of these are happy at the expense of the others. So that is a consideration. But if bars and clubs are able to stay open longer, then they won't have that glut of people being kicked out at the one time at 3am, be Mm. staggered more throughout the night. And actually, in terms of the economy, the final boost to London, London might finally become a 24-hour city. And tell us a little bit more about how this could affect businesses in the capital. I mean, we wrote a couple of weeks ago about how lots of pubs, for example, are closing. Will this go any way to helping small small businesses, restaurant bars in particular, to survive? The people I've spoken to uh, for the sake of the story have said it could be heaven sent, quite frankly, in terms of the boost, the potential boost to business. We're seeing the number of bars and clubs across the capital has fallen by 10% since 2012. Mainly down to rising rents. I mean, property prices are going through the roof. The fact is that Soho is becoming a bit more of a residential area because people are taking commercial properties, developers are keen to get high-end flats in, and bars, restaurants and clubs are paying the price. So a 24-hour tube on Fridays and Saturdays may actually mean the difference between survival and going out of business for a lot of the smaller ones. Well, thanks very much there to Hugo Greenhouse. That's it from the FT Money Show this week. We'll be back, same time, same place, next week. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our Alpha Chat podcast as well, presented by me, Cardiff Garcia. Each week, FT writers, bloggers, and their invited guests will have a wonky, funny, and occasionally irreverent chat about topics related to the financial markets and economics. Check it out at ft.com forward slash podcasts. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.